Everybody, please put hey. a thumb in the air. Hey. Everybody, how you doing? Well, that's good. Welcome to I almost <laughs> I almost said checking out the competition. This is why you shouldn't have me do this. Welcome to Broad Street Hockey Radio. That's right, BSH Radio. I am not your director of fun and games. I am Kelly Hinkle. Joined by Oh wait, we're gonna do intros. See, this is already already a disaster <laughs> without Bill. This is why we can't not have Bill. Uh let's get to the intros. We'll lead it off with Steph Delicious D, Steph Driver. Hi, Kelly. Hi. It is lovely to hear your voice. What would you like us to call you? If you're not the director of fun and games, I'm the mistress of mayhem. What would what is Kelly J? Well, she's she normally is the fly by herself. The fly by herself, but she's hosting today, so we need a good host name. We can think of it. The Hinks. The Hinks. (laughs) The Hinks. Is this your this is your intro? This is it. That's all, all right. I got. I'm sorry. I'm sick. And then we've got from theathletic.com slash the failing New York Times, Charlie O'Connor. It me, Charlie O'Connor. So the Flyers homestand is about to come to an end. Today is Wednesday when we're recording. And mm-hmm. hilariously enough, if the Flyers can somehow defeat the Washington Capitals, which they almost did the last time they played them, and that was on the road. And the Capitals still have a lot of injuries. If they can do that, against all odds, the Philadelphia Flyers will have won more games than they lost on this homestand. That's remark. That really is remarkable. I know, right? They're two and to two on the homestand because they beat the they beat the Islanders, then they lost to the Lightning and the Devils, and then they beat the injury ravaged Avalanche. So they. Are I was going to say the key to the season is clearly. For every team that the Flyers face to lose half of their players to injury. And then we will just sail to the Eastern Conference Final. And then, even after doing (laughs) that, lose one of probably the top three best players in the game midway through the game. That was a real, a real gift in that game. Because it it was like, I think it was the beginning of the second. I was like, wait a minute. Because I was at the game. I was like, where, where is Nathan McKinnon? Because I was just like, there's. There's not enough happening. Not enough happening with the Avalanche right now. Like, where is Nathan McKinnon? Because he's uh, very good. But yeah, we killed Nathan McKinnon. That was, you know, a strategy. R.I.P. Helped helped us win the game. Although, to be fair, they killed Taylor Lezinski, and that's about an even even loss for both teams, I would say. Tanner Lezinski, Nathan McKinnon, they're basically the same guy. Did I say Taylor? I think you did say Taylor. You did, and I I was just going to let it go. No, you shouldn't have. I should have been roasted for that. I knew his name was Tanner. His but. name is Tanner. We're we're just a little bit more Canadian than ta- Tanner. Well, I mean, this is <laughs> that's just Tanner Lazinski's name when he's listened to just a little bit too much Taylor Swift. To be fair, ah, there it is. You know, in Bill's honor, 
mispronouncing slash getting a name wrong is kind of, I think, a fitting tribute. I would have to I agree. think so, too. All right, so let's get to the outline done by Charlie O'Connor, blissfully. Um, the Flyers are getting healthy, which, depending on your perspective, is either really good or absolutely horrifying. <laughs> um, I mean, it's good for the players. It's, it's very good for the players. In their personal lives, I do not wish for them to be injured or to suffer in any way. But, um, you know, some people are, are looking for a tank. Uh, Travis Konechny returned December 1st, Lawton November 29th. Both of them, I think, have looked pretty good since they've been back. What do you guys think? Yeah. I mean, Konechny, what? I think he has goals in his last three games. Has he scored in each of the games he's been back? I think he has. He might have, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's he has a, the problem. He has a goal in each of those games. The problem is Scott Lawton plays too hard all the time mm-hmm. and it chaps my ass. He's been doing this for years. Scott Lawton, we know you're good. Scott Lawton, we know you try. Just stop trying when the team is so bad. No, no one else he is can't trying. Not he's a big do time it. try guy. Yeah, oh, he yeah. can't not do it. Well, I hope and he's also, not a big time try guy. <laughs> I mean, to be fair. The entire team is trying really hard, it would seem to me. There, are. there aren't a lot of guys coasting. Um, Kevin Hayes is really the only one that has done it at all, and he got punished for it. But for the most part, everybody's trying real hard. They just stink. So it's, you know, it's good that Konechny got in there and started trying, and Scott Lawton also trying. Yeah, I'm very happy with that Lawton did not apparently get a concussion on the hit that knocked him out because mm. I thought for sure— it looked was, pretty bad. It looked like he got concussed, and he's had quite a few concussions in his career, and you never want to see a guy. I mean, number one, you just never want to see a guy who's had concussions get more. Number two, particularly a guy who's under contract for quite a few more years, I mean, you certainly don't want to see him end up missing a season because of post-concussion syndrome. But my understanding is that the reason why he was able to come back so quickly is because it was merely a shoulder injury. So that's why he's mm. back. Um, which, I mean, big sigh of relief in my mind because, again, never want to see anybody con- get concussions, but you definitely don't want to see a guy who's had quite a few. I mean, he had that one really bad one that he had in the, uh, I think it was the Capital Series, where he basically got knocked out on the ice. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was a bad one. Were you at that game, Hinkle? I might have been. Yeah, that was bad. That was like before he yeah. had established himself as like a full-time NHLer, and he came into that series and then just got absolutely bulldozed into the corner. Mm. I, I forget. It might have been by Carlson. I forget which defenseman it was by, but um, maybe it was Niskanen. might have been Niskanen, Ooh. actually. Pre-Flyers Matt Niskanen. Plot twist. Um, but yeah, that was a real bad one. He, he's had others, so definitely good to see him back. But yeah, I mean, Konechny's been good since he's come back. He's still over a point per game this year. He's got 10 goals in 20 games, so he's doing well. Lawton looks like Scott Lawton. Now they're getting JVR back on Wednesday, and Cam Atkinson, as we discussed last week, he's not dead. He is <laughs> he is making appearances. Charlie has proof of life on Cam Atkinson. Cam Atkinson, a lot. And he's in Philadelphia, which we didn't know. Yeah, well, he wasn't for a he while. He wasn't, yeah, for a while. Yeah. He was definitely in Columbus for quite a while. Yeah. So the, the JVR one is interesting, and the Atkinson one will make things even more interesting because the question then becomes, how much better are the Flyers going to get once they start getting these guys back? Um, 
right now they have the seventh worst points percentage in the league. There are teams worse than them, which is, you know, (laughs) pretty impressive. Ottawa, Arizona, Columbus, Chicago, San Jose, and the Anaheim Ducks, who are, like, really struggling. (laughs) Like, I don't know what's happening out there in Anaheim, but they are extra bad. Um, Yeah, didn't you two say you thought they were going to be good this year? I thought that they were. I, gonna, I think I said yes. fun losers. Okay, is what I was. I, I think, thought yeah. that they would be like a bubble team. They definitely were not the team of that list of shitty teams that I thought was going to be the worst. That's for sure. And Fair. they are. Uh, they're real bad. My understanding um, with them is bad. that like their coach, because Dallas Eakins is their coach, and he's mm-hmm. like been real, real bad this year. Like they're just getting Ooh. crushed, and it seems like ownership and management has basically just decided that well we could fire you and maybe get better or we could keep you and continue to be awful and then maybe get connor bedard so it seems Mm. like they're just keeping the coaches not because they think they're good but because they now have no chance of winning so it's like if we're going to be bad we might as well be real real bad the smart front office (laughs) the strategy when your team is bad is to to just lean in and get a good draft pick so the thing is the flyers at i would say a number of times this season have based on pure effort and a little bit of luck kind of hung around with teams that are on paper definitely better than them and you have to wonder then when you get a guy like jvr back you know how much does that improve something like the power play that has been struggling does jvr parking his big ass in front of the net does that change things on the power play? And if it does, does that change the way a game like, you know, like the Devils game they recently played? The Devils are definitely better than them, but the Flyers hung in for way more of that game than I expected. I expected that game to be a bloodbath given the way that the Devils are scoring right now. But the Flyers hung in. So if they are going to get incrementally better with these guys being added, like, are we getting closer to the disaster scenario of? 15th in the league like does the, this the peak the peak of sadness the peak of Micah's, sadness yes yeah so being too good to nail a top draft pick but too bad to make the playoffs yeah i mm-hmm. think i think we're gonna gonna be in that little that little area and that sucks like that sucks getting back people who score goals means that this team is going to score more goals. <laughs> theoretically, yes. Theoretically, that's theoretically, what's going to happen. <laughs> theoretically. And that's, you know, is it possible that the defense makes so many lapses that it doesn't matter if they have an extra goal or two a game? Yes. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> 100%. Um, but I think, you know, it might make a difference in some close games, in some games that... Maybe they could, maybe they couldn't win. I think that it's it's just going to give them a little bit of a boost because now you've got guys that you know you can score. Yeah. Like, you know that JVR can score. You know Konechny can score. You know Atkinson can score. Yeah, I think, I mean, the thing with JVR, why I'm happy he's coming back, and again, like, I'm looking at all of this from a future lens, is that he needs to play and he needs to produce some points and goals so that he has trade value at the deadline. That's so a great point. to me, it's like, get him back, get him on the power play, get him to score some, score some points so that teams, you know, that are looking for a, an infusion of goals in their bottom six for the playoffs are like, you know what? I'll give a separate round pick for that guy. 
because the Flyers could use some of those since they've traded quite a few of them away. <laughs> they sure could. To get not great <laughs> players. Um, anyway, so that's good. Connecty, I'm happy he's coming back just because, like, honestly, and this is purely a, a me thing, like, I have to watch this team 82 times a year, <laughs> and, like, it would be enjoyable to watch, like, a couple guys who were fun, and he's one of the few. Yeah. So, like, for my personal sanity, I'm very happy that Travis Konechny is back because he is an enjoyable player to watch play Extremely the sport. Extremely fun. Hockey. He's fun. Yes. So happy there. Atkinson, I mean, he, to me, he's the wild card here because he, like, Konechny is having a good year legitimately. He might be a better player than Atkinson now, but Atkinson's a legitimately good player. And yes. he's a guy, like, JVR to me, like, he'll score his goals, but, like, come on. He's not. He doesn't really do. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. he doesn't really do anything. Like, his goals are because he's standing in a spot and he's good at deflecting. But, like, yeah. he's not generating, you know, the plays that lead to the goals. He's just, you know, hanging out. He's always been a really good support <laughs> piece on a team. Yes, yes. And the problem is, is that over the last couple of years, they've been asking him to be more than that. And he's, if he's... If JVR is a key piece on a team, that team is bad. If JVR Hello, is a yes. third liner, that team is real good. That's why Toronto, when he was on their, that, their team, when he was with uh, Bozak on the third line, they were real good because that was exactly where JVR should be on a good team. On this, Yeah, team, we said it a million times. This team is a team made out of very good support pieces. Yeah. So Hell JV of a lot of great middle sixers here. <laughs> yeah, so JVR's whatever to me. Like, get him back out there, rack up points, get his trade value up. Atkinson is interesting because, like, if he's actually healthy and can play at his pre-injury level, like, he could move the needle a little bit. So yeah. Atkinson's, like, if we're talking about helping out the tank, Atkinson, he has the ability to potentially hurt on that front. So here's the thing about the tank. Of those, those bad teams that we listed, Ottawa, Arizona, Columbus, Chicago, San Jose, and Anaheim, at this point, we're about a third of the way through the season. It's hard to imagine a scenario right now with what we've seen from the Flyers, even injured, that they can, you know, quote unquote, pass those teams down to the basement. Yeah. I mean, I, so, Ottawa will eventually start winning, I think. They'll pass the Flyers pretty easily. Yeah. Like, I, I think I they've got they've got a bunch. I mean, they still got some really good players. Obviously, they have Drew, but he's not the only one. Mm -hmm. The other five, though, I mean, like, Arizona sucks. They're basically they're just the— They're real bad. Like, their goalies are playing real well, but they're bad. Columbus mm -hmm. is injured to hell. Mm -hmm. Chicago is trying to lose. And trying to lose, right. And they're going to trade at least Kane. Maybe not Taze if he decides he wants to stay, but, like, Kane's going. Mm -hmm. And then San Jose we knew was bad, and Anaheim is kind of, like, audible to tanking. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, you, it, it kind of goes back to what I was saying in the last show, where, like, I think the Flyers are probably going to end up somewhere in that, like, 5-8 to eight range. And then you're just hoping that they get lottery luck, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, but to be fair, though, like, everyone, you know, just thinks that being all the way at the bottom guarantees you one of the top three picks. It doesn't. And we've seen it a lot over the last, like, five years. The Rangers lucking into a, a pick. Lot. Us lucking into a pick. Um, the Devils have lucked into a couple. Like, it's, it's not necessarily that you need to be one of the worst teams because the odds are shit, really, for 
for any of the teams. You, they just get a little bit better the worse that you are. True. So the Flyers just need to be in the lottery. That's really all they need to do. Yeah. Would it be nice if they were, you know, the team with the best possible odds? Sure. But, like, as long as they're in there, they got a shot. If we get a top three pick, things are going to be real good. It's fair. Yeah. I... Go ahead. No, I'm just, I'm going through the lottery odds here. So, looking at it right now, the, uh, the way the odds work for top, so top two picks, um, if you're the worst team, which we agree the Flyers almost certainly will not be, you yeah. are guaranteed a top three pick. So, right now, Anaheim, they're looking at it, they're like, we're sitting pretty, we have a 100% chance of getting one of Bedard, Fantilli, or Mitchkoff. The second team has a 60% chance of getting a top three pick, which is a lot, but it's not like, it's not a, it's not a lock. I mean, 60%, Mm-mm. that means four out of every six times that they do the lottery balls, they're not getting one of those top three players. Then the third place team, I'm just doing some quick math here. It looks like they're somewhere in the 30% range to get a top three pick. So really, unless you're that's the worst team, you I mean, you're not, like, in any way, shape, or form guaranteed. Right now, the Flyers are seventh. The Flyers would have about a 13.5% chance of getting one of the top two picks. They would not have a chance of getting the third pick. They could only move up to one or two. If they were to pass Ottawa and end up sixth, that would jump up to be about, like, 15.5%. So that's, that's half of what, what the third-place team would have. Right. The way they do the lottery is so needlessly complicated. It annoys me. It's such a pain in the ass. It really is. But yeah, Every like year it, I got to look again and figure out how they do it. But yeah, like if you're looking at it, I mean, you know, let's say they were to jump up three spots and they become the fourth worst team in the league this year, which is, I believe, where they were last year. Mm-hmm. Um, that would only give them a 20% chance of getting one of the top three picks. That's, again, not that big. No, so you're right. It's really not. Unless you're the absolute worst team in the league, and then second, sort of, because 60% is still above 50. It's still better than a coin flip. Your chances of getting a top three pick are far from a lock. And to be honest, the second they decided that they weren't going to keep Mike Yo and they were going to go out and get a new coach, like you knew yeah. they weren't going to be the worst team in the league. There was just simply no way that particular outcome was going to happen. So like... None of this is a surprise. And as much as you want them to keep losing games, they're just as devoid of talent as they actually are compared to those other teams outside of Ottawa. They are better than them. Yeah. Yeah. Particularly with the good coaching. Yeah. I mean, it's a completely fair point. Like, I mean, Columbus, I thought, was better than the Flyers when healthy. But now, mm-hmm. you know, with Wierenski gone, um, who was the other, the other really good player? Voracek out is out. Voracek's gone. Yeah, he's out for yeah. probably the year. So they've got quite a few of their key players that are just poof, like dumb. Mm-hmm. They ain't coming back. So now Columbus is probably worse than the Flyers. So, yeah, I mean, Arizona, I think, is, is due for a fall, and they're already bad. So yeah, and let's not discount the number of conspiracy theories we could concoct about Gary Bettman wanting Arizona to get the first overall pick because he's obsessed with keeping them there. In fairness, though, I mean, and I know we look at this from you know everything bad is going to happen to us sort of thing, but 
there's re- there's reason for you know for people in other markets to be like it behooves Gary Bettman to cheat on behalf of the Flyers because the Philadelphia market wrong. should be a better market than it is right now because of how disastrous things have gone the last week. The way the league and the organization is losing money on themselves right now is, you know, there's an easy way to fix it, but here we are. Easy. Speaking of ways to fix it, we finally heard from Chuck Fletcher last Thursday. He seems to, like, go into hiding, like, in some kind of lair and then just, like, pop out and say a couple of things and then we don't see him again for another two months, which is probably for the best for him. Um, Charlie, why don't you go ahead and talk about this since you were there? Yeah, so this was, this was a fascinating day, I will say, because <laughs> so we had, we had been requesting uh, a Chuck Fletcher shared media availability for about a week. Um, just because it's the quarter mark of the year, the team was on a 10-game losing streak, the GM really should answer to the media when the team just can't win a game. Um, plus, I mean, as what happens when a team loses 10 straight games, some rumors start to fly around about the general manager's possible status because he obviously is the next person on the chopping block since, as we agree, they ain't firing towards. So, I get a call at 9 a.m. from Flyers PR on Thursday morning saying Chuck is going to talk at 10.15 before the, um, the, the morning skate, because the Flyers are playing on Thursday. And then mm. Tortorella is going to talk at 10.30. So I rushed down there. Chuck, I guess, changed his mind and decided he wanted to go after the skate. So we were going to get him around like 11.15, but we were still going to get Torts at 10.30. So Torts goes out there first. You got, the, the order of this is honestly very important. Torts goes out there f- first, and... The first, like, maybe four or five questions are about the game and about the players. And then, because all of us writers know, the story of the day is going to be Chuck Fletcher and what he is bound to say in the next hour, we start talking about the state of the team to John Tortorella. And John Tortorella, while he did not say the word rebuild, he declined to use that specific word. He instead used the word build. But... (laughs) It was very clear what John Tortorella was describing in terms of the way he views where the Flyers stand. And I'm going to read some of these quotes if you did not hear it. So here's a few. Quote number one, this isn't a one-year type of thing. We've got some work to do, and it's going to take some time. No matter what people want to hear out here, it's going to take some time to get this right. That's quote number one. Number two. I love the opportunity we have here to build something from really the ground up. And when you're feeling some pain, and we're going to feel more pain, we're going to go through a lot of pain. When you start feeling that pain, do you change your thinking and panic and readjust how you're going to go about it? That's the important part for us in this organization. So that's quote number two. Then quote number three. I feel very strongly that you just get stuck in the mud if you continue to put band-aids on and gimmicks to get people in the building mm-hmm. and whatever it is you're trying to get. You get people in the building and you get it right by winning. And the only way you can win is building it the proper way. And that's how I'm going to go about it. John Tortorelli very clearly is describing a multi-year rebuild. Like that is what he is describing. Without saying the word rebuild, that was everything in those comments. You know, we're going to feel pain. This isn't a one-year type thing. The whole, 
We can't keep putting band-aids on this thing. We need to go through some serious, serious changes. Like, that is a rebuild. And also, it's it's very interesting to me. I mean, because obviously, this is a man that knows his job is safe. Like, he's not getting fired. So the fact that he is willing to go out there and kind of explicitly say, hey, my bosses, like the guys running this team, they're really fucking it up. They're not <laughs> doing the right thing. It's wild. And the only way we're going to fix this is to do it another way. And it makes me wonder, like, I mean, I know you're going to get to Chuck's comments later. Um, like, are the people above Chuck Fletcher listening to this man that they gave a whole lot of money to because they trusted him to be the one to turn the team around? Are you listening to what he is saying? And if you are, like, what are you going to do about it? Exactly. That, that to me, is, is the interesting part here. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, there are, a few, there are a few things you have to take into account with this. Number one, John Tortorella, you know, and I don't think he's looking at this purely, like, from a Machiavellian, stand, Machiavellian standpoint, but you have to understand that, like, it's in his best interest to make the case that the Flyers just don't have the talent to be competitive this year because if the expectation from ownership going into this year was that John Tortorella was going to make this team competitive, it's not happening. So it behooves him to be like, hey, this needs a multi-year rebuild, and if you think I'm a miracle worker, I'm not, so don't fire me for <laughs> not being able to make gold out of shit. Like, and, yeah. like, so, so that, that is, you have to take that into account. There is a self-preservationist element to this, I think. But also, Kelly, I 100% agree with you that this strikes me as some serious message sending, both to Chuck Fletcher, but also to ownership. Yeah. In terms of like, this is my vision for what the team is and what needs to happen. So get on board. If you, th- if you trust my hockey opinion, get on board. And also, I would, I mean, outside of him keeping his job, I would imagine he's having a very bad time right now. Like, this cannot be fun for him. He came out of retirement to coach a team that he knew was bad, but I kind of got the vibe, particularly at the beginning of the losing streak, that he didn't really expect it to be this bad. Like, I'm not sure that he realized just how, like, fundamentally like hockey fundamentally bad the team was when he came in because he yeah i don't know so my theory there and steph i'll I'll let you jump in as soon as this um my theory there is that i don't think he realized it at first but i Mm -hmm. think by like the end of training camp i think he had a pretty good idea i think that was when it started to really dawn on him that like oh man this team isn't That's exactly what I was going to say. He may not have known when he signed the contract, but he definitely knew before the season started because that's when he started making little comments that very specifically excluded the playoffs, very specifically excluded being competitive this year. It was all, um, we need to put some respect on our names. Like we need to start doing things right. We need to go back to the basics. Like that's ever since training camp, that's what he's been talking about. So I think he saw like, whoa, this is a team full of actual 
moldable human turds that I really can't do anything with, but I'm going to try really hard. And I don't think that it's making him miserable right now. I think that he sees that they're hearing his message because they definitely are. Like, you're you're right. They are playing their asses off for him. They're really trying. Every single night. They're just not good. So I don't think... That that's hard for him. I, I think that he looks at these guys and says, you know what? They are giving it their goddamn all, but they're just not that talented. Yeah, which is why we don't hear him criticize the players very often. Yeah. Which is why he puts himself in the line of fire mm-hmm. as opposed to the players, because they really are. They're out there fighting every night, except for Kevin Hayes. And <laughs> he's, Kevin Hayes he's, try- is. he's trying now. He's trying. I, I think well, now he now is. He is. <laughs> Yeah, he he got the message, which is, you know, that's what you want. You want him to get the message, and he got it. It is exactly what you want. So they are. They are trying so hard. And I think that he knows that. He knows that they're just not that good. And the guys that are here this year, right now, December 2022, probably won't be around in March 2023. No. I mean, one one hopes, anyway. It's it's a fascinating point, because then, okay, so Tortorell talks to us at 1030. We get done. It was about a 10, 15 minute, you know, media availability with, availability with Torts. We go down to the locker room, talk to the players, come back up. Chuck Fletcher's ready to chat. So Chuck shows up. And this is, again, 45 minutes after his coach, who Fletcher presumably hired, basically said, we're rebuilding. Like, that is what we're doing. Like, whether you, whether you want to call that or not, that's what this is. And Chuck then <laughs> gives us quotes like this. So I think there's a path forward here to be more competitive, and I expect to be more competitive the rest of the way. We're five points out of a wildcard spot right now. We'll see. We'll see if we have the capability of staying in that race and competing. Now, this was the one that got the most play on social media. Yeah. The whole, we're five points out of a wildcard spot right now, because, like, there, I put this in my article. There's a line from... Uh, from Futurama, where this like random character is like, that is technically correct, the best version of correct. <laughs> this was technically correct, but it was the worst version of correct. Because, like, yes, they are, they were, were being past tense, technically mm-hmm. five points out of a wild card spot, but like, they're not getting a wild card spot. And everybody know how... knows it, including yes. the coach who just spoke 45 minutes before. No, but like, honestly, Chuck has to know it too, or like I worry about his grasp on reality because the way they had been playing, again, trying hard for the most part and still getting the results that they were getting, if he honestly believes that this team is capable of competing for a wild card spot, like he needs to be examined by a, a medical professional because that's, it's just insane. It's batshit. And, like, I know he's going to lie. He's going to say things to save his job and also to convey some kind of confidence in the plan, which apparently exists. Um, But, like, that is just so far outside of reality that it's, it's hard to imagine that he actually believes that. Yeah, I mean, here's my thing. Because there have been times where, like, a GM will come up and the GM will say some things, and you're like, okay, you're very clearly lying, but right. I, I get it because you don't want to, like, tear the hope away from your players. Like, you don't want to, like, 
basically give them the not the, not the freedom, but to give them the excuse to just kind of like pack it in and say, well, we ain't making the playoffs this year. Better luck next year. But here's the thing. The coach isn't even doing that. Like, you can't right. say that Chuck Fletcher is just saying that we're in the mix to make the players feel better when the coach, who is closer to the players than the GM, is basically telling the players with his comments like, hey, if you guys think the playoffs are a possibility, we got much bigger problems to worry about than the fucking playoffs. So, like, but- he's not lying for this. Like, if Fletcher is lying, he ain't lying for the players, and he has to know that because the coach isn't even lying for the players. I mean, I'm going to be honest with you, Charlie, and you interact with these guys on a daily basis, so you would know this. I find it hard to believe that the players think. Like, I know that they're, like, machines programmed only for competitive winning, but, but like, I don't... Like, a guy like Kevin Hayes can't look at this team and be like, yeah, we're going to make a playoff push. Like, I feel like the players also know where the organization is right now. I think it depends on the player. I think some Mm, of the guys do, and some of the guys do realize that this is going to be a long-term thing. Like, for example, I like here's a guy, and I mean, take this for what you will. I think Tony D'Angelo still very much believes the Flyers are making the playoffs. Like, he's big dumb. Like, based on what, (laughs) based on what he said in interviews, where it's just like, well, the Eastern Conference (laughs) is still wide open. We can still get in. And and like I think he is I think he is absolutely convinced this team is still gonna turn it around. God but like, bless. But there are other guys <laughs> on this team who I do I agree are more like, yeah, this this probably ain't the year when we got Zach McEwen on the second line. Yeah. Probably yeah, not. So yeah, so specialist Zach McEwen. So going back to Fletcher, so we had the five points out of the wild card spot. Then we had another one, which again hit the other nerve that fans hate to hear right now, which is the first sentence is whatever. I I do expect us to continue to defend well, continue to compete, continue to be a hard team to play against. Sure. Then he follows that up with, I mean, our issue is scoring goals, and will Konechny and JVR and hopefully Atkinson help? They should. They were three leading goal scorers last year, so they should help. And then we can get a better sense of are we in the mix or are we not? Number one, it is undeniably true that the Flyers have injuries and injuries are hurting them. It is also undeniably true that the last thing that fans want to hear is the guy who constructed the team to be using the injury excuse. Nobody wants to hear that. And not only that, how long has he been the GM? Four years now? And he took Is the job, like, at the end of 2018, that the calendar year. Okay, so, so, so f- almost... So five years? Almost five. Okay. Um, you, sir... Uh, now we're four. Four years. As the general manager of this team for four years, should not be asking the question, who are we? Are we in the mix? What's happening here? Like, these are the, the questions that you're meant to answer all the time. Like... That's literally your job. And the fact that he goes out there and, like, out loud is like, hey, who are we? I don't know. Like, buddy, you're the one. Like, you're the guy that's supposed to know. Well, it's really hard. It is hard. It's really hard. People forget that. That's true. People forget that, you know, general managers just don't have it the way that they used to anymore. It's very hard. They actually have to work, and it's just hard to make trades, guys. 
I was reminded last night about the uh, the guy on Vegas that they traded for nothing because they needed to to dump cap. What was his name? Who who was that? Packy Ready. But yeah, so uh, yeah, I I got reminded about that last night, and then I got upset again. Yeah, you know, you could just you could just trade somebody for nothing and just get rid <laughs> of their salary, and then you can sign better players with the space that you created. Like apparently that can happen. Oh man, so. So I go back to kind of what I was saying before about he's not lying. There, there's there's two possible explanations here. Either Chuck Fletcher is telling the truth and he believes the Flyers can stay in the mix, in which case he's delusional. And I don't mm-hmm. think he is. I think he knows. Like he has to know. Like they're they're going him and his and his like top guys are going around looking at like Connor Bedard and Adam Fantilli. Like they know. On some level, they know. This team is far more likely to get a top five pick than they are to make the playoffs. So I don't think he's delusional. But if he's not lying for the players to like yeah. kind of boost their confidence, who is he lying for? Yeah. And the, and the only explanation I could think of is that he's lying for ownership because mm. he's trying to keep his job. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. But like, I don't know. I mean, like, I know. The three of us all know for a fact that the Flyers organization very closely monitors, I mean, essentially what Flyers Twitter is saying to about sure. them. Yes. They are not in the dark with regard to what fans, at least online fans, think about the state of this organization, which is, it, it just makes me wonder what they think. Like, why do they think that this strategy is the one that's going to pull them out of the shitter as far as, like, attendance goes and merch buying and all of the things that ownership ostensibly really, really cares about because that's where they make their money? It's interesting to me because I don't know if they realize that if they just said it out loud, like, people would probably immediately change their tune about what they think of the team. Totally correct. Like, I actually saw someone the other day begging for um, the Flyers to do a letter like the Rangers did about Lundquist. Like, just saying, we suck. We're awful. We're going to try and do better for next season, and this is how. Like, that's all they need to say. They just need to say that this is bad, and they know that we're not having fun. But that's the thing, is that ownership... My understanding is that ownership is not yet ready. Like, the reason why no one is is calling it a rebuild, it's not because they're delusional. It's because ownership has not fully gotten on board with the idea of doing a rebuild and having all the implications that come with, okay, we're rebuilding organizationally. That is our new philosophy. Which is what brings me back to what I was saying about who was Chuck Fletcher lying to. And I honestly think, because this is the only thing that makes sense to me, is that Fletcher knows that if ownership were to change their minds and decide, yes, we are rebuilding, that is what we're doing, we're going to say the word, we're going to admit it to the fans, he knows that if they're rebuilding, Chuck Fletcher is not going to be the one doing the rebuilding. So it makes sense for Chuck to continue to push this fantasy that maybe they could stay in the mix because the only way he keeps his job 
is if they stay in the mix. You know what I mean? And the, and and that's the problem with them not having a, a hockey person between Chuck Fletcher and Dave Scott to explain that there is no scenario in which Chuck Fletcher is the guy constructing the team going forward. Like that, that it just isn't going to be. And I feel like Chuck has to know that too. Like there's just no way with a four-year track record that you're going to be the guy that, that's going to take the team. Like, you've done nothing in four years. You got to know. This isn't your first rodeo. Like, you know your job's probably, you know, on the tail end. I just think— Unless, I mean, again, you're a nut. Yeah, and I don't think he is. I, I think Chuck is a smart guy. And I think, you know, because— People have always had an issue, particularly when the team is bad, because obviously people are just going to be mad at everything. People have had an issue with the way Chuck speaks in, yeah. you know, in press conferences because he's very measured. You know, he's definitely guarded. He comes off as, and I, I say this as someone who also went to an Ivy League school, he comes off like an Ivy League. Like he has yeah. that, like, you know, <laughs> it's very, it, it, it's very urbane. I'm just saying. And I think, and, and particularly when the team is doing bad, people feel like, you know, he's, a little bit stuck up. And I don't think that's the case. I actually think he's a pretty down-to-earth guy. But when people are pissed off, they're looking for things, and that that pops up. That said, I think Chuck Fletcher, for the most part, in his public availabilities, has been pretty forthright and honest about where the team stands in that moment. This was one of the first times where he really Mm. came across as just, like, straight-up lying. Like, this—you know what this reminded me of? This reminded me of— one of the final Ron Hextall pressers when Hextall did the famous about the penalty kill that it's visually better. Oh, visually, it's and better. we were all just like, <laughs> like the the five points out of a wild card spot. That to me was Chuck Fletcher's. The penalty kill is visually better. Where yeah. the fans are just like, okay, now you're just blowing smoke up our ass. Like, yeah. there's no way you can actually believe this because it's so obviously a lie and it's so obviously not in tune with reality and to me this almost strikes me as like look nobody wants to get fired and this strikes me as almost like chuck's last attempt to hang on to his job by trying to sell to the ownership that hey we could still we could still turn this around this season could still not be a total wash we're only five points out of a while i know we lost 10 straight games we're only five points out of a wild card. You know, we get these guys back. Maybe we have a strong December. Maybe we stay in the mix. And then maybe you guys don't have to do the rebuild that you clearly don't want to do. And if you <sighs> don't have to do the rebuild, then you also don't have to fire me. And that's kind of where yeah. I think things are at right now. That, that's, that's my view of where things are at right now. So I guess our only hope then is that ownership, if that's Dave Scott or is that a group of people, I don't know, whatever. You have to hope that they are viewing this entire situation through a lens that doesn't include the Chuck Fletcher filter. Like, hopefully they can see. Like, they should be reacting to those comments the same way that we are. Yes. Yes, I agree. what are you talking about? Like, we're not going to make the playoffs. But, you know, rich people, they're Exactly. So then we'll we'll quickly, but we we have a break coming. But I do want to talk about this in, in general about the idea of Chuck Fletcher's job status. Because I, you know, me, the person who doesn't ask tough questions, um, according to people in social media. <laughs> That's you. <laughs> um, I specifically directly asked Chuck Fletcher, essentially, are you worried about getting fired? And, 
And Chuck's answer, Chuck, to his credit, he played it off and he actually like made a joke about it. He was like, you'll still see me around, Charlie. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> and he got a little bit of a chuckle from people about that. And then he responded with, no, I don't worry about that stuff at all. I talked to Dave Scott all the time. We had a couple hour meeting yesterday and talked about everything and the different possibilities that can happen as the season goes forward. And we're all on the same page. But look, I understand the business. So my focus is on doing what's right for the team going forward. And that's all I do. So. Chuck, I mean, that, that's honestly a whole lot of nothing aside from the fact that he does acknowledge that I understand the business and he's not like saying that I read that as like he knows his job isn't exactly safe. Yeah, totally. I know quantum physics. Just because I say it doesn't mean it's true. I think he also knows because this is the way this stupid front office does things. That he's not going to get fired, fired. He'll just get the Holmgren. Uh, He'll be be president of Hockey Ops. I don't don't know about that. I just, he doesn't have direct connections to the organization the way that Bob did. But he wasn't a player. You know what I mean? Like, fair. Yeah. He's a secondhand guy in terms of like, he has that degree of separation. No, Mm -hmm. I, I, I have a suspicion that if he gets fired, he's getting fired. I don't think he's getting kicked up because I think on some level ownership knows that if they're going to move on from Fletcher, they need to restructure the entire yes. organization because yes. don't forget Fletcher is also the president. So like, they, no, need, yeah, that's the problem. Yeah. They would need to do a lot of things, which is why, and I said this on a couple shows ago, I think their preference is to kick the can down the road and deal with this all in the off season. The problem with that, number one, is that Fletcher would still be handling the trade deadline. Yes, that's a big problem. Which is a concern. Number two, it's just the fact that, like, you've got a fan base that is just out for blood. And if you try to hang around with Chuck Fletcher, if they go through another long losing streak, like, people are just going to be even more mad. And are they willing to deal with that kind of bad publicity? I will say this. What I've heard since this press conference, I, I came into this press conference with the opinion that I did not think Chuck Fletcher was going to get fired midseason. Mm-hmm. What I have heard since this press conference, based on who I've talked to and the people I've talked to around the organization, is that he could get fired midseason. Like, oh, this that's could, spicy. Is that this could happen. Not that it's going to happen, not that it's imminent, but that if the Flyers were to go on another run of real bad results and a lot of losses, that, like, yeah, there, there's a breaking point that could be reached in season with Fletcher. To be quite honest with you, just knowing that the idea has formed in someone's mind inside that organization makes me feel a lot better, to be honest with you, because from the outside, it would appear that they think everything's fine and dandy when it barely, clearly isn't. Um, let's go ahead and take a break, and we will come back on the other side and talk about the Flyers' very competent NHL defense. So, uh, yeah. Enjoy this advertisement for a product and or service. All right, we're back. We're going to talk about the defense. And uh, specifically, the thing that I want to talk about is that uh, they put Rasmus Ristolainen on the top pair there for a second. They did. I think he's still there. I think he is too. He was there, I think, in the Colorado game. He was. Um, I mean, we'll see if he's still there against Washington, but they won the Colorado game, so probably will be. Probably will be. That it was a... uh, an interesting choice by John Tortorella. I mean, I know, I don't really think at this point there's any real, like, 
ideal, perfect combination of these six players on the defense that will you know, just make things really good. Um, but when Torts put him on the third pair at one point during this season, I was just like, okay, good. Yes. Someone knows. He knows. He can see it. It's all fine. Who cares if, if the guy on the third pair is making $5 million? That's Comcast's problem. Um, but, but now he's on the first pair. So, uh, yeah. I, I don't really know what to make of that. Yeah. It's, it's really scary, too, what, what you just said about I don't know if there's any combination of these defensemen that could be good. Because remember how much money they have tied up in the mall? So much. Like, like, <laughs> like so for them, much money. I don't want to talk about that or think about for it. For them to have this much money tied up in a group of defensemen that don't seem to have any real way to fit right together yeah. is utterly terrifying. Like, we're talking it's... about, like, Risto has 5.1, D'Angelo is at 5, Sanheim is over 5 and will soon be over 6, Provorov is 6.75. I mean, we're talking about what? What? What is that, like? 24 million dollars combined a, a quarter like a over a quarter of the salary cap yeah is tied up in this defense yes this like defense it, I, that doesn't seem to, to why, work well to together. why chuck fletcher should be fired this is is probably a big part of it just incompetence i mean the good news I is just, i don't know how you get to this point in your career and not know how to manage a fucking budget like, how do you not know how to manage a salary cap? How do you not, how do you not understand? It just blows my fucking mind. So the real, the real thing that's interesting, and Charlie very kindly listed out all of the, the points totals for these guys, is that one of the things that's been shouted at people like us who don't like Rasmus Ristolainen uh, for a myriad of reasons, um, <laughs> is that he's, he's not a defensive defenseman. Stop expecting him to be one. He's an offensive defenseman. All right, cool. He's got zero points in 19 games. Zero. So apparently not he's not an, not an offensive defenseman either. Like, that means that, like, nary a shot that has been fired into the feet of people standing in front of the opposing net has bounced off and gone in. Like, nothing from this man offensively. So if you're not good defensively and you're not scoring any points, like, what is it? That you would say that you do here. Yeah, this is serious office space vibes. Yes. Well, what what are you doing? What what are, are you doing? Is it is it the hits? It's are the you hits. Doing hits. It's you the doing hits, hits, Kelly. Rassman. We yeah, know he's it's doing the, hits. the hits. All of the hits that that never ever separate a player from the puck. But they're hits, baby. Kelly, Kelly, just wait for playoff Risto. Um, uh, you know what? I can't wait. I can't wait for playoff Risto. He's so good. People forget this. We can't even understand how good he is because we're not brilliant hockey minds. We didn't play the game. We didn't play the game. We didn't play in the NHL. We don't understand no. that like good teams have Rasmus Ristolainen, even though Rasmus Ristolainen has never once been on a good team. No, and I think that what happens is in the playoffs is that all of the players, that's when they get scared of him. Ah, uh, okay. Because they don't appear to be scared of him now as they whiz by him into the flyer zone like they don't appear to be scared maybe they get scared in the playoffs because it's a seven game series yeah i mean i guess we may never know kelly we may uh, never know. Uh, 
Well, you know what's fucked, Charlie, is that when this team finally makes the playoffs, Rasmus Ristolainen will probably still be here, so we might find out. <laughs> we might need point. to get used to it. So anyway, so Ristolainen, what, I want to go through like our thoughts on all these guys. We've already yeah, started yeah, talking about it. Risto. I imagine our thoughts on Risto are not going to be that positive. So his minutes are down. Granted, they went back up recently because he's on the top pair with Provi. That yeah. said, I think that's more due to. Um, their feelings on another defenseman who we will get to in a few minutes. Um, that said, zero points in 19 games. Not great, Bob. Um, <laughs> obviously, he was not in John Torrell's good graces to start the year. It seems like he's gotten a little bit more on his good side, but I don't get the sense Tortorella's in love with him. It's just mm. that, like, well, he's doing better and he's trying. Now... That's fine, but if this is him trying, then yikes. Yeah. Like he got I I did you see that that goal that the um the I think it was Rantanen scored near the end of the game on uh, on Monday where Rantanen literally just like blasted by and granted he made Proveroff look bad too, but he blasted by Ristolainen like he wasn't even moving. Cuz he probably wasn't moving. It was real bad. <laughs> He's, uh, yeah, I, uh, I'm begging for the heat death of the universe. <laughs> I just, just let the sun engulf us in flames. You know, like if, if maybe we could get like, you know, a, a Brendan Shanahan or an Eric Tolsky, like somebody who can just find a very stupid NHL defenseman. I mean, NHL GM whose uh, team is headed to the playoffs and maybe they want to, Get playoff Risto, because, you know, Got to have terrifying. playoff Risto. Playoff Risto will get you there. <laughs> you need your Pat Maroon. It's playoff Risto. So uh, maybe trade us a second round pick for him. There we go. <laughs> so what did Pat Maroon say in response to being fat shamed? Oh, so he I actually, made a donation. Yeah, I, I actually did this story. This was this was a oh. wild day for me. So I, the same day that Chuck Fletcher had his press conference and Tortorella did his thing, what we just talked about, I interviewed Chuck Fletcher, hopped in the car, and immediately f- basically flew over the bridge to the Wells Fargo Center where the Lightning were practicing to interview Pat Maroon to get his response to the Jack Edwards. Basically, for those that don't know, this happened last week. Jack Edwards, who is the uh, the commentator for the local and commentator for the Bruins, fucking sucks. Yeah, he's he's easily the biggest homer. And like, granted, local commentators, local play by play guys, like they have to be homers. That's a kind little of homer job. is good. Jack Edwards takes it so far that it's ridiculous. Yeah. Well, Jack Edwards in the middle of the game decided to take a look at Pat Maroon's listed playing weight of 238, decide that he weighs way more than that, make jokes that he must have eaten a few more pizzas since the start of the year, and basically him and his partner, his, his color commentator partner, spent a good minute just, like, laughing it up about Pat Maroon being fat. Well, what Pat Maroon did in response, him with the Lightning, was they made a donation in Jack Edwards' name to... Uh, essentially like a nonprofit in the Tampa area that deals with mental health and and things of of that nature. Mm -hmm. Then the next day, the Lightning were playing in Philly. It was the first time that we were going to get a chance to talk to Pat Maroon. Um, And because it's the Lightning, they don't have a lot of people traveling to cover the team because it's a small market. Uh, Mm -hmm. We don't anymore because Joe Smith, our former Lightning writer, is now the... um, 
he's now the co-cover of the Minnesota Wild with Michael Russo. So we don't really have a full-time Lightning writer anymore. So nobody we had was going with him. I went to Lightning practice, talked about Maroon, got there just in time, interviewed him, so I can give you the quotes that he told me. Um, Yes, please. I can. See, this is why this is the best Flyers podcast, because we have the real insider. Yeah, I mean, here I am. I'm I'm covering covering multiple teams here, (laughs) you know, multiple hats, doing what I do. Mm -hmm. Um, Let me get this, because... Um, my internet is going slow, but I should be able to find it pretty quickly. Um, basically what Maroon said was that he wanted to, um, he wanted to turn a, you know, a negative into a positive, um, you know, take the high road, but he, he was, was understandably critical of, of, of Edwards. He said, you just don't talk bad about someone like that for a minute straight for no reason. I get it. If we're out on the ice and guys are chirping and guys are doing things, that's part of hockey. But someone on TV, when potentially millions of listeners are watching or tuned in, he basically just cut me down, was uncalled for, it was unnecessary. And then I I asked Maroon, you know, even beyond him, was part of, you know, when he had a chance to think about it, was part of what bothered him, just the fact that, like, there could be people watching the game who are struggling with their body image that heard those comments and felt like crap. And Maroon said, yeah, absolutely. And he said... Look, there's always going to be people on social media. They're going to say, they're going to talk about weight. Like, you hear it all the time. But not when you're just sitting there. Just people are tuned into a game, and you're basically bad-mouthing someone about something unnecessary. And if someone is watching the game that's struggling with that stuff, and they're listening to that, I mean, I can only imagine how they feel. You know what I mean? Listen, I'm a professional athlete. I could take some stuff. I'm a strong guy. I'm a funny guy. But when things are unnecessary, that was very unnecessary. So those were Maroon's comments. Basically that, like, look, there's... There's lines that you can cross in terms of criticizing a player for his on-ice play, for him struggling to score, you know, for him not living up to a contract. Like, that's all fair game. But when you're taking shots at a guy's weight and you're taking shots at a player in a way that, you know, if someone else watching the game is going to hear that and think that they are less important because of how they look, then that's just a bridge too far. So those are Patrick Maroon's comments in response to the Jack Edwards thing. I mean, to be quite honest, I've watched a lot of hockey games in my life. I don't know that I have ever, before this, heard a play-by-play guy attack a player for anything personal. Like, ever. Not like looks, not like attitude. Like, I mean, think of how many play-by-play people could call Brad Marchand an asshole if they wanted to. Like, they don't even do that. They call him, like, a pest or, like, you know, that kind of <laughs> An stuff. agitator. Like, right, right. Like, I have never heard a play-by-play person go after a player that personally. And, like, it's, it's just, like, gross. And, like, then, like, it, it wasn't even funny. Like, at the well, very least, it wasn't least, funny, it wasn't them, funny at all. I, I know, but, like, objectively, it yeah, wasn't, it wasn't funny. funny. Like, it, at least if you're going to make jokes, like, shitty jokes about something like that, at least be funny. Like, they weren't even funny. And it was just like, I mean, he sucks at his job generally, so he should probably lose it. But it, it really was he just sucks so much, incredibly uncalled for. And I do think that it drew attention to a thing that is, you know, hard for a lot of people. And yeah, like sports are supposed to distract us from everything in our real life. It's just supposed to be fun. And it's just like. 
Like, why? There's no fucking reason for it. And good on Pat Maroon for really... I know I'm fat and out of shape. I watch sports. I don't need you to tell me that I'm fat and out of shape, and that's why I don't play sports. Imagine you, an old man, sitting on a chair in a studio, attacking a professional athlete who performs at the highest level, who has three Stanley Cups now? Two? Three. Three? Three Stanley Cups now. Three. You're going to talk about him eating pizza? I don't give a fuck if Pat Maroon eats pizza. He can eat seven pizzas a day. Who gives a shit? He plays for one of the best teams in the league and has won three Stanley Cups. Clearly, there's nothing wrong with his physical condition. He's <laughs> yeah, doing right. all right. Like <laughs> He is doing just fine. Just fine. It's just, Yeah, that kind of stuff is just so unnecessary. It's very obnoxious. I don't like it. Completely agree. Completely agree. Why, how like, did we let start talking about this? Uh, I don't remember. I forget how Pat Maroon came up, but we could just... You mentioned Pat Maroon, and I asked oh. what he responded yeah. Okay. I don't even remember why you mentioned him. Let's get back to the flyer shitty defense. Yeah. Because so we only I, talked about a couple of these guys. Yeah, we only talked about Risto. I guess this is an interesting one for me. What are our thoughts on how Ivan Proveros played this year? I mean, he looked... Better than last I was, year. Yeah, I was going to say better than last year. Which, how, which, you know, lowest possible yeah. bar. Um, I, my biggest problem with Provorov is I still think it is extremely clear that he's not a number one defenseman. He's I just agree. not. Yeah. And we are committed either by choice or by circumstance to making him our number one defenseman. And long term, that's probably going to be a problem. Like if, if we're going to actually try to be a competitive hockey team in three or four years, like Ivan Provorov can't be our number one defenseman. He just can't. Mm-mm. And you know he's just not talented enough. Period. No. And then you know there was a I think, time. I think he does have the talent. I just don't think like I think he has the talent to be a number one defenseman. I don't think he has the instincts and consistency to be a number one defenseman. I was going to say I think I if think, he was going to show it, he would have shown it already. Well, that's the thing. I think physically, like, obviously, physically, he's, like, an incredibly gifted person. Physically. I think physically he could be a number one defenseman. But I don't think he has the hockey sense, like, the whole IQ thing to be a number one defenseman. And like Charlie said, that's not going to develop. Like, that's there or it's not. And it's not there for him. And I feel like we've known this for, like, two, two and a half years now. I I think so. I think it's possible... Provorov is interesting to me because I do think it's legitimately possible that he might have been screwed up by, like, oh, no. the dysfunction of the organization and the yeah. the coaching changes and whatnot. Yeah. I think there—I think if, if there's, a, like, a, an alternate timeline where the Flyers aren't a total dumpster fire, I think we could be seeing a better Ivan Provorov right now. That said— at this point, I think kind of the ship has sailed. Yeah. Like, he is what he is. He's a, num- he's a borderline number two, number three, who's getting mm-hmm. played like a one because the Flyers have nobody else who can take the minutes, really. And that sucks because, I mean, I remember watching him in his rookie year and thinking, like, this guy could be chemo teaming it. And, like, now he ain't chemo teaming it. And no, I don't think he's ever going to. No. And, and then when you get to the Travis Sanheim. Who I think for for a little while, years ago, at least I for a minute, thought that there was a scenario in which 
Travis Sanheim could end up better than Ivan Provorov. Because I think Travis Sanheim kind of showed more flashes of greatness at the beginning of his career, whereas Provorov was just kind of like steady good. Yeah, that's right. I felt like Sanheim kind of showed a lot of flashes where I was like, okay, if he can get to be that guy, like he could be a number one defenseman. And he has, I think, very, like Provorov, shown that he's not. I would say he's also a, a borderline too, th- too generously three at this yeah, point. I think he's a three. Yeah, and Chuck Fletcher signed him to a long-term deal. So now he's, he's here, and there's nothing to be done about it. Um, and I don't really know what you do with that at this point. Yeah. Sanheim is, I mean, I thought Sanheim got off to a really bad start this year. It yeah. seems like it's starting to come together for him recently. Like I has, like him. He has nine but... points in his last nine games. The offense is coming around. The underlying numbers still aren't great for him, though, which, like, you know, that's kind of his calling card. So if he's mm-hmm. not driving play, like, it's kind of like, what are you doing here? But at least now he's scoring. Yeah. And you're hoping that as the offense comes around, that hopefully the rest of his game comes around and he can start pushing play in the right direction. Um, also, it's harder when like you just don't have any forwards that are very good. Yeah. Like, that makes it tougher on the defense, too, because you can get them the puck all you want. But if they can't move the puck up ice and they can't create chances, mm. your numbers aren't going to look that great. So Not there's that. But Sanheim, to me, the, the concern I have with Sanheim, truthfully, is that it didn't seem like he was endearing himself to John Tortorella. Mm, and that's interesting. And if if he was or he is struggling to gain his favor and he's got an eight-year deal kicking in next year, that's real scary. So what do you think that's about? Because I feel like Travis Sanheim, wasn't he like teacher's pet at practice all the time? Like, wasn't he like the work-hard guy? I mean, yes, he is. He definitely has a good work ethic. And I do think that Tortorella likes that about him. You think I, that Tortorella just doesn't like his game? Well, I, I think part of it, truthfully, is that he was sort of told that, that Travis Sanai was this guy who was going to be real good by analytics, and the analytics they're looking at this year ain't good for Travis Sanai. So it's kind of like, well, like, I don't see it. Like, yeah. My understanding, too, with Sanheim is that a lot of people said to John Tortorella, like, at least at the start of the year. I don't know if this has changed. But they sort of said to him, like, yeah, he's struggling, but, like, you don't understand. This guy was our best defenseman last year. He was the mm. only guy who didn't fall off a cliff when everything was going to shit. He's real good. You'll see it soon. And basically what John Tortorella said in response was that, I don't put any stock in how a guy plays in the second half of a lost season. There's no fucking pressure on him whatsoever. Like, the games don't matter. I care about how a guy does when the games matter. So, oh, that's a good point. So that's kind of where Tortorella is with Sanheim, where he's like, if Travis Sanheim can only be the best version of Travis Sanheim when there's no stakes, do I really even want this guy? Ooh. Shit, that's a great question, and I, I never thought of it that way. If he can't be that guy under the pressure of trying to win hockey games, like, there's no point in him. Yeah. So that, that guy, that I think is where Torts is at with him. And he's like, you got to show me more to prove to me that huh. you can be an effective, be the best version of yourself when the games actually matter. And that's, that, that's the push pull that's going on right now. I think with Sanheim and Torts. So you mentioned that the reason we got top pair Risto is because of Tortorella's opinion on another of our defensemen. Whomst were you talking about? That would be one Tony D'Angelo. Good Kelly Hinkle. 
Mr. Meatballs. What is going <laughs> on? Meatballs. What's going on with Meatballs? <laughs> so I think that Tortorella, against all odds, actually likes Tony D'Angelo. But I do think that over the last couple weeks, he has not liked Tony D'Angelo's game at all. I mean, D'Angelo, if you look at the numbers, D'Angelo is actually getting the most minutes per night on the defense. And, like, that's a very clear indicator that coaching staff likes what he brings to the table. However, over the last two, three weeks, whenever I've asked John Tortorella about Tony D'Angelo, it's been, like, essentially, for lack of a better word, yikes. Oh. So they moved down to the third pair because they felt like I think they were giving him too much ice time. And then D'Angelo, like, completely fell apart with the too much ice time. And they, like, had reached a breaking point where, like, clearly we've reached the, you know, this was a bridge too far with Mm D'Angelo. If we give him 27 minutes a night, he's going to play like crap. So now they pull back on it and they're still kind of trying to, like, find the guy who they trusted enough to give him 27 minutes a night in the first place. Um, I look D'Angelo. I don't think has been awful this year. I think he's been bad defensively, which we, we knew. But we knew that. Like, yeah, we knew he was bad defensively. I think he's helped the power play, but yes, we also knew that just getting a good point defenseman on the power play wasn't going to fix the power play. And lo and behold, it hasn't. They're still the thirtieth ranked power play in hockey. Oh, so, it's real bad. Like to me. It's not that I think D'Angelo has been awful this year. It's that, and this goes back to kind of the original point that I made when they got him. It's that, it's not that I think he's awful. It's that I don't see the point of him on this team. Particularly since you decided that Shane Goss's bear did not fit here. They're the same player. The same guy. Like, there there is probably a Flyers team where Tony D'Angelo can find his niche and be a good fit. But it's not this one. Like, no, because like the, the, he. The power play isn't good enough to t- fully take advantage of the fact that he's a legitimately good power play quarterback up, at the, up, at, up top. Yeah. And he's not showing anything remotely resembling like great chemistry with Ivan Provorov. So he's probably not a top pair defenseman either. But if he's not, like, he's a guy who's probably going to have some wild swings where, like, maybe for 20 games he's going to look real good and then for 20 games he's going to look real bad. And the problem yeah. is that when he's going through those 20 games where he looks real bad, they don't have anybody else to put on the top pair other than Rasmus fucking wrist line. He needs an extremely sound defensive partner. And who do we even have that fits that description? Like Justin Braun? Yeah. Like, is he our best defensive defenseman? I mean, probably. Is. But he just can't is, do anything offensively, and they're both right-handed. Right. And the Flyers are obsessed with the idea that the handedness on the pairs has to be yeah. that way. Which is another thing that really handicaps them as far as trying to figure out how to make a good defense out of this group of players. Yeah, it does. Maybe one of them has to play off on the offside. Maybe. Maybe they just do. Maybe. But the, then the thing is, is that that's probably true, but... Part the reason why you spent as much as you did to acquire Tony D'Angelo and Rasmus Line is because they're right-handed. Right. So it's like, right. well, you they're, they're only worth what they're worth because of their handedness. And then if you're yeah. not using them in the right side, then what was the fucking point of giving up everything you gave up to get them? Which, again, goes back to general managing. I was going to say, it's, uh, we're back to the beginning again. The guy running the show is an idiot. But I guess my, I, I'm curious what you've thought of D'Angelo. Like, what have you thought of his play? I think 
I like watching him on the power play because he moves the puck so quickly and Provorov absolutely does not do that. So it's a nice change seeing D'Angelo up top there kind of moving things around. It Visually, it looks very good. Um, apart from that, I think he's been like kind of unremarkable. I don't, I feel like I haven't noticed like a ton of the kind of like huge glaring errors that you get from Risto or I don't know, Nick Sealer. So he's been like fine, but like not worth what we gave up for him. Not worth what we're paying him. And also, I don't think getting him addressed any of the issues that needed to be addressed on the defense. Like he doesn't as a whole, improve the team in any way, I don't think. That's kind of my thing. I mean, I think he improves the team to a point because I don't think he's a bad hockey player. And they no, do he's need, not. They do need good hockey players. <laughs> they don't have enough of those, so they definitely need good hockey players. That said, like, I just don't— It goes back to what, we're, what you said earlier, Kelly, where it's just like, where does he fit? I don't really see it. Like, if, if the Flyers had a— legitimate number one defenseman like Jacob Slavin, then he fits on the top pair. And if they also had another legitimately good second pair defenseman who shoots right-handed, then they would have insurance when D'Angelo goes through his, goes through his rough patches. That would be, that would be a team where he would fit on, you know, in at five on five, which right. was ag- exactly what Carolina was. Cause they had Jacob Slavin. Yes to put D'Angelo with, and then they had Brett Pesci in case D'Angelo fell apart to move up if they had to. So it was the perfect 5-on-5 situation for D'Angelo. On the power play, again, like, there's only, and I, I was screaming this from the rooftops in the summer, there's only so much a good puck-moving point man can do on the power play when you don't have high-end forwards to actually create the goals. Like, yes. he's doing a lot more stuff than Ivan Provorov ever did. But it doesn't matter because they don't have anybody who can fucking score. Yeah, Tony D'Angelo with Claude Giroux would have been nice. It's like it's like if you get like like the super expensive, unbelievably good like salad dressing, and then and you put it on like a sandwich with like salami that's two months old. Like it doesn't <laughs> matter that you spent fifty bucks on the great dressing. Like, the sandwich is still going to make you vomit. That sounds very specific. I, did you make a sandwich with bad salami recently, Charles? N- no, sounds, but I do eat specific. a lot of salami sandwiches, so it just popped up. <laughs> They're delicious. Um, is there anything to say about Justin Braun and Nick Sealer? Not really. Um, not really. I mean, like, I think, Se- fine. I think Sealer, for the most part, has actually been pretty decent. I mean, it's bonkers to me that he's played in every game, but then I look it at the sure underlying is. numbers, and he has the best expected goals for percentage on the team. And it's like he does well among defensemen. I know, but still, my it's face wild. is the same. That it's, is insane. it's wild, which I think says more about the rest of the defense than well, it does about Nick Sealer. But like, okay, there's a wrong. reason why he hasn't been pulled out of the lineup, and it's probably because when Tortorella does these tape studies, he never comes up as doing anything wrong. Now he doesn't do much right, but like yeah. he doesn't fuck up that much. He's just kind of there, and that's not, I guess, the worst thing. Justin Braun. He fucks up more, but he probably stops more plays. Yeah. Like, he probably uh, ends more plays than Sealer does, but he also has more glaring turnovers and more facepalm moments. Yeah, I, 
I definitely agree with that. Like there were a couple of times um, I was watching, I sat pretty close to the, the glass behind one of the nets at the avalanche game. And so I got to see a lot of stuff happening up close in front of Carter Hart. And there were a couple of times that Justin Braun like very noticeably was like the only thing between the Flyers and a goal against. And that's not because he's super good, but I think he's just been playing hockey for so long that he just like knows where to be. Yeah. Um, but you're right. He does make more huge glaring errors. And those are the ones that you remember because I think you've said this a million times. Those are the ones that often go in the back of the net. So you remember them. Um, but I mean, like as a third pair defenseman, he's fine. Yeah, he's fine. I mean, like Justin he, Braun, Justin Braun's like a six, seven at this point. Like, look, when yeah. the Flyers trade him to the Rangers, there's a reason why he didn't play every night. The Rangers right. were an actually good team. He traded in and out with Brandon Schneider. Like he's a six, seven on this team. He's a five, four because they're just bad. Right. Yeah. Every player on this team is playing higher in the depth lineup, which is the biggest should. problem they're facing. There's, mm-hmm. like, no one on this team that is in his ideal slot. Right. Except maybe Carter Hart. <laughs> he doesn't really have anywhere else to go. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Okay, I, I want to do one more little game before. Okay. Unfortunately, ju- just to let everyone know, we're not purposely, like, boxing out Steph. She yeah, we lost her. She, we lost her. Her laptop died. So thanks, Steph, for joining us for as long as you could. We're sorry that technical issues forced you to leave. But... Before we finish out the show, I want to play a little game with Kelly based on this defenseman exercise. Right now, as we mentioned, Rasmus Ristolainen has zero points on the season. Mm-hmm. Justin Braun also has zero points on the season. Mm-hmm. I think what me and you should do, Kelly, is we yes. both pick one of these players mm-hmm. as to be the one who scores a point first and then. Like, the loser has to do something. Ooh. I like it. I love a good bet. Should we decide on the stakes first? What will the stakes be? What should the stakes be? Mm. It should be like, uh, one of us has, like, we have to say something on the show that is, like, completely out of character. And em- not embarrassing, but like... Yeah. Like, I would have to say, like, Rastus Alignan is really good at hockey or something like that. You know what I mean? Like, something <laughs> yes. like that. I once made a bet with someone on Twitter. It was something related to the Flyers and the Penguins back when that rivalry mattered um, that I lost. And so I had to change my Twitter, Avi, to a picture of me with I love the Penguins like stuck to my forehead on a That's good. Notes. That's, That's good. That's um, good. I'm going to take Justin Braun. Okay. I kind of like this because now I get to root for line. Yeah. This is good. Now you get to, for once in your life, Stop being unnecessarily biased against Rasmus Ristolainen. Yeah. Now I'm completely no in Ristolainen's corner. So, okay, so what, what will the loser have to do? Um, buy a Tony D'Angelo jersey. <laughs> no, I can't do that. I can't do that. I know. I, I mean, can't maybe, do anything. Maybe yeah, you, you could do that. Um, if I lose, okay. Okay, okay you, you have to buy a Tony D'Angelo jersey if, okay. if you lose. If I lose, I have to go on a 60-minute anti-analytics rant on this show. 60-second anti-analytics oh, rant on this show. 60 minutes? I was like, yeah, Charles, six, that's a real six, commitment. And, and, and you, can, you can time me. 60 <laughs> okay. seconds of anti-analytics. But you have to really mean it. Oh, oh no, I can be sincere. 
Oh, perfect. Deal. It's on. If I have to buy a Tony D'Angelo jersey, I'm going to be so upset. <laughs> <laughs> Justin Braun, please save me from this fate. Um, is there anything else you want to talk about, Charlie? No. I, uh, I feel like I think we did good. a good show. Yeah, all solid right. show. And that is all the time we have for you this week on Broad Street Hockey Radio. Thank you for tuning in. Be sure to like, subscribe, uh, tell your friends. <laughs> Find us on your podcast platform of choice. Um, for Charlie, for Steph, Bill, we love you. Have a good week, everybody. Are you ready to talk about sports? Yeah!